You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on the As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. 
Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Blood Origins is on a mission to tell the truth about hunting. A nonprofit organization that produces a podcast and highly acclaimed video works, Blood Origins, and its efforts are led by Robbie Kroger. Robbie holds a PhD in biology with an emphasis on wetland ecology and has worked in this field for 20 years. Blood Origins was started by Robbie after he saw the gross misrepresentation of hunting on a global scale and was motivated to give an accurate portrayal of hunting. Blood Origins is an international organization that tells the story about hunting, its effects on wildlife populations, the values it holds for wildlife management, and its impact on local cultures and the human population as a whole. On this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, I get to sit down with Robbie and we have a great discussion about all things hunting, about the perception of hunting, about what we need to be doing, but most importantly, we talk about the recent movements surrounding mountain lion management in Texas, the efforts to restrict the hunting of mountain lions in Texas, and we just take a deep dive on that. We also talk about overall issues facing the hunting public and a special project that will have a direct and positive impact on houndsmen and mountain lion hunters. This is a good one, and every houndsman needs to know about Blood Origins. Check out their website or check them out on social media, their YouTube channel. I posted a link to their website in the show notes, so check those out. While we are talking about being on a mission, let's talk about Houndsman XP and our mission to preserve, protect, and promote hunting for today and well on into the future. You can help us support this show and keep this show going by joining us on Patreon. You go to our website at houndsmanxp.com, click the support tab, and when you join us at the $12 level, you are going to get a membership to the Sportsman's Alliance, America's premier organization that is protecting your freedoms to hunt. That is so important for us as houndsmen. There is no other hunting culture that is under attack more than our freedoms to be able to free cast our hounds and pursue game animals in an ethical manner. Being a houndsman is tough business and we're under attack all the time. And you can help us make a statement that you are going to stand for freedom and you are willing to stand in the gap by joining us on Patreon. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click the support tab, and you're right there on our Patreon page. It's really easy for you to make a statement and stand up for hunting. When you go to that profile and you fill that out, make sure you put your address and all the information in there because you're going to get other stuff too. You're going to get access to promo codes, merchandise. You know, There's all kinds of stuff. We're paying it back. We don't just take your money. We're going to pay it back. We use that money for you and your freedoms. So check us out. Go to houndsmanxp.com. All kinds of cool stuff there. Shop our sponsors. They are also in this fight with us and have 
sponsored this show because they believe in what we're doing. So so check them out for all your Garmin needs, uh, equipment needs, whatever you got going on. Check out those sponsors. Folks, let's get to this podcast. The Old South Dog Box is rocking, and I'm tired of talking. So it's time to get the tailgate down. Let's dump the box. It's a good thing because I just hit the record button. Just roll right and in, we've huh? Got, yeah. Well, I, I always like the way you roll your podcast in when I smash the record button. Yeah, smash it, mash it, whatever, yeah. man. It's just like you got you to get the good stuff. When, you know, I always like to hit the record button right in the beginning. I've never met the individual typically that we're podcasting with, but the good stuff always happens in the beginning. The good stuff always happens Doesn't in the it? first like five, ten minutes. And you're like, why didn't I hit record five minutes ago or ten minutes ago? So I, I try not to even have much discussion with guests before you hit the record button. Because you burn it all up, and then you can never recapture it, and heck yeah, it's it's gone forever. Heck yeah, you're it's gonna, not it's not organic. No, hundred percent. You're gonna tell your guests how I'm a, a podcast like fixer upper. <laughs> what? A podcast fixer upper? I fixed your podcast. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. So, <laughs> the 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 familiar voice. Yeah, I'm I'm so on the uptake here, Robbie. I got Come on, Chris. Yeah, Robbie, and you pronounce your last name Kroger, for us American just Hillbilly. like the supermarket. It's just like, just like the supermarket. That's what? right. I'll tell you a funny yeah. story. I was a PhD student, very uh, lowly paid PhD student. I think I was making $12,000 a year. And I was uh, making ends meet by bouncing. I was a bouncer in a bar in Oxford, uh-huh. Mississippi. And I, um, I needed to take Christmas presents home to my, to my family in Australia. And I was like, what mm-hmm. am I going to get him? I've got no money. So I went to the Kroger store because my last name is Kroger. Right. And I bought a bunch of Kroger brand stuff. I bought like bricks of coffee and wrapped them in Kroger packets and gave them as gifts to everyone <laughs> because everyone thought they were, you know, this is the best thing ever. They'd get a bunch of Kroger branded stuff for Christmas. So. I thought you were going to tell me like you just tried to walk out with it because you were so far down and and struggling for money. It's like, hey, all this stuff has my name on it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I got arrested once in America. I don't plan to ever do it again. (laughs) Okay, That's another story Uh, for another day. Feel free to share. No, no, another story for another day. (laughs) Well, Robbie, I'm glad that you decided to come on the podcast with us and – you guys have been doing a lot of good work, and uh, the organization, your, your, your NGO is Blood Origins, and uh, I want to take advantage of, of talking to you and showcasing the, the work that you're doing you. at Blood Origins, and, and I, I hate to go so far back because you've been around for so long, but we may have somebody that is, you know, has never heard of Blood Origins, and I want people to know about sure. it. So, uh, can you give us can you give us a rundown of of what you're doing mm-hmm. and and how you got started and and everything like that, Robbie? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm constantly humbled when, uh, again, people like you know about us. They know what we do. But then, yeah, there's a lot of people. We don't. We're not. We're very small. We're a small nonprofit now. Um, we plan to remain small because we don't tend. We don't. We're, we're not going to be pulled into the whole bureaucratic sort of juggernaut that is on almost an oil tanker to move when it comes to being able to say things do things whatnot so we want to stay real small mm-hmm. and real nimble 
but five years this October, October the 31st, I decided to do something about sort of the perception around hunting. I didn't have a really idea of what I was looking for. I just knew that I was interested in understanding why I was wanting to hunt more. I wanted to hear from others about like why they hunted. All I could get out of the outdoor media platforms at the time was really it's all about the kill because it was all geared towards hunters which makes sense mm -hmm. and i was raising two small boys at the time five and four the ten and nine now um to be hunters and i wanted to explain to them i could explain the biology behind i've got a phd in wetland ecology and i could explain the biology and the habitats and and whatnot about why we would take this deer or trap this raccoon or whatnot but i couldn't really articulate the heart of the matter because I was right. a new hunter myself. I'd only started hunting when I came to this country in uh, 2006, 2007 is when I started my hunting journey. And so I just started capturing people's stories. That's where we started really, is capturing people's stories and capturing people's hearts. And we filmed it in such a unique way that I was like, I need, I need to film it very uniquely and I need to film it at the highest quality I possibly could to sort of stand out from the crowd because at the time we were thrown in to the mix you know, the thousand other hunting shows that were trying to make a mark on the hunting industry. And though at the time I thought ourselves as a, as a show, the fact that we got no money from anyone, we asked a bunch of people for money. They all said no to me <laughs> fortuitously. Right. We became almost this independent, authentic voice for hunters. We didn't belong to anyone. We didn't belong to a brand. We told whoever story we wanted to tell we told influencer stories we told big names like shocky and will primos but then we told no name stories like joanna dart from michigan who was an, an a korean adoptee who became a late adult onset hunter at 26 in michigan you know nobody knows yeah. joanna um and so after three and a half years my wife said to me she says robbie i love your passion for what you do but i want my savings account back <laughs> and so you need to my wife's getting ready to say that to me <laughs> <laughs> and so she says uh you know you need to find a way to make this sustainable and we looked at the methods and we looked at possible models and the best model we could think of was a non-profit in that what we do is really educating because at from the outset i didn't really want i guess i was creating content about hunters but it wasn't for hunters it was it was for me personally mm -hmm. but rather it, it morphed into this idea of changing perceptions around who we are which was that perception that i came into it is that all i see is that we're killers and then it makes right. sense why everyone says that you guys are just a bunch of killers because that's all you see well what about if we created content that showed the 99 percent of the other stuff that that shows why we hunt and so right. that's what we started and when we turned ourselves into a nonprofit, it opened the sort of it's opened the doors to various different types of content that we could then get involved with so today blood origins uh, this is a long-winded answer to your to your question but today blood origins no it's good is really just focused day in and day out 365 days a year seven days a week to convey the truth about hunting and hunters that's all we do mm -hmm. look at our platform that's all you, you'll see. You won't see pictures of me hunting or any of our crew. We've got a very small crew hunting. You won't see pictures of anybody else hunting. Uh, you won't see product placement. You won't see pushing of brands because that's not who we are. 
uh, as I like to say, we don't belong to anyone. We belong to everyone. And so yeah. we have a very, very large global footprint, fingerprint, essentially, for being very young. We're at, we have like 28 countries, 29 countries of people that interact with us and donate to us and support us. Um, and we're just growing and we're just thinking about what are, what are cool stories in our, in our field, in our space that nobody has told before. Or maybe we've told them. But we've ne re very rarely have we looked at it from a completely different lens and say, let's tell that side of the story. So that's what we mm -hmm. are. That's what we do. You guys, have, you guys have had a lot of interesting guests on your podcast um, and and on your video platforms and things like that. You've you've had everything from you know the biggest names in the hunting industry to uh non-hunters have you have you featured an anti-hunter on your podcast yeah yeah i want you to yeah. if you haven't listened to it and for those that are listening when you look at if you want to go listen to a podcast to get a feel for who we are and who i am and we have a very specific way about how we interact with people i uh, you know i have the i have the wherewithal i have the credentials i have the phd to be to be able to explain wildlife wildlife management wildlife mm -hmm. ecology population dynamics and whatnot i also have a very unlike my, my my life i'm very patient in the sort of social media world i'm not patient in my real world um <laughs> with people and we we're almost being told that we're gentlemanly in our approach to how we interact with people and so mm -hmm. a podcast we had with a lady called mimo somain She's an 18-year-old African out of Kenya who slid into our DMs on Instagram and says, I do not understand the purpose of your Instagram. And I try to explain it to her, and she goes, I don't understand hunting. I don't see its value. And I said, I can, I can type right now. There's not enough space in Instagram for me to type what I need to type. So why don't you just come on my podcast, and you can ask me any question you want around hunting, and I will answer it. Mm -hmm. And she did. And it's an hour and 15 minutes of 40 minutes into which you hear her literally break. Like, oh, man, I had no idea. Right. Um, I've got a vegan lined up. She's coming on. Um, I have a social media director of a very, very, very large platform who lives in a city that doesn't get hunting. He's going to come on the podcast and do another Q&A to say, well, look. Give me your ideas. Give me your perspectives of what you think mm -hmm. hunting is and and issues, and I will answer them to the best of my ability. Yeah. Do you have an episode number on on the one with your anti hunter from Kenya? I will find it as we're as we're talking. Well, yeah. As we're talking here, you made an impact on. Um, I listened to your podcast, obviously, and obviously I missed the one with the anti hunter, um, <laughs> but I've listened to several. Uh, I've watched a lot of your videos that you've put out. Uh, Podcast number you... six. It's number six. N number six. So you jumped right into it. Yeah, she was like the yeah, first big one? one. We dropped five in a row. We five. We dropped five in the first day we started our podcast, and then we dropped like a really, really controversial one at number six. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> way to get. That's a way to get started, Heck man. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well just talk about the elephant in the room right up front. Excellent. So, but you've influenced you, you've influenced the way I think about podcasts and um, the way I produce our podcasts. And and when we started our podcast, it was 
Um, one of the biggest thing is give people the words to be able to explain why they hunt. Don't just tell me that you hunt. Don't just tell me that your grandpa hunted. Don't tell me that it's a legacy. But but what does it mean to you? And and why do you hunt? And and I was I do that because for one thing, the narrative about hunting has been hijacked by the non-hunting or the anti-hunting public. Mm-hmm. That and and we need to figure out how to get that back. And so. Th- that's what I've tried to do with this podcast, but that is why people absolutely need to go listen to, you know, fill in their time with blood origins and listen to your message because you. it's so valuable for people, people to be able to develop their own narrative and well, take a deep dive. It gives them information, dive. right, Chris? It gives them just the yeah. information as they're interacting with that individual. It's like, oh, I remember him saying this. Let me say that. Yes, yes. You know, and it also gives them an opportunity to to – you know, do self-evaluation and can I really, can I, can I interact with a person like Robbie did on mm-hmm. episode six? Mm-hmm. Am I, am I capable of doing that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I love the discussion opportunity that a podcast platform has provided. It's, it's so different than Instagram commenting back and forth or Facebook commenting back and forth. It just gives you a different, different avenue. Yeah. So let's let's back up a little bit farther. I want to get some more of your personal story. Mm-hmm. Uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? When did you come to the United States? And give us your background, you know, behind that PhD and things like that. Yeah, so I say I was born and raised in South Africa because it's just an easier way to explain my sort of pavement special genetics. Um, I was born actually in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, but moved to South Africa when I was three years old. Um, mm-hmm. So raised in South Africa, when I was 16 years old, my grandfather is a phenomenal, was a phenomenal hunter, hunted pretty much every Mecca hunting paradise this world had to offer. He was in the, in the 30s, 20s and 30s, he was hunting Siberia and the northern plains of China and Tibet. He pheasant hunted Tibet, white-eared pheasants in Tibet. And then he moved to Mozambique. In, in 54 and lived the heyday of Africa for 50s, 60s and up into the revolution that hit Mozambique. But I never got to hunt. I never talked about hunting. We never talked about hunting in the in the family. We just, it was sort of lost generationally. We, we grew up yeah. in a big city, eight and a half million people. And um, when I was 16 years old, that grandfather took me to the Okavango swamps, which is a delta, sort of a river. When a river hits an ocean, it becomes a delta, right? It, it flattens out and mm-hmm. it, it sort of fans out. Well, due to tectonic forces, the Okavango River got rerouted from the coast into a desert. And so it sort of just fans out into a desert. It's called the Okavango Swamps. Beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful system, phenomenal swamp system. And I fell in love with wetlands and swamps when I was 16 years old. And so I just studied wetlands and swamps. I did a Bachelor of Science, I did an Honors of Science, I did a Master's of Science, and then I came to the States to do a PhD. Um, and so that's really what brought me to the States is my studies. And then I met a six foot six, 260-pound redneck that says, hey, you like to go hun? And I was like, <laughs> I, I, I guess, I don't know. And then that was that. Right. That was yeah. a pretty good Southern accent, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a lot better than my South African oh, man. accent, I can tell you that. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's an amazing story. And then, did you work as a professor for a while? I did. Or, I did. Or, yeah, I did. Um, I was hired as my first job out of my postdoc of my PhD. I was hired as a professor, uh, assistant professor in the wildlife fisheries department at Mississippi State University. I did that for six years. And then mm -hmm. I was hired as the chief scientist of the, the, the council that got born out of the BP oil spill for a year. So I stood up the restoration framework from Texas to Florida for the first billion dollars that needed to be spent. Um, and then today I still work as a consultant, still work as a um, environmental consultant for a company in Mississippi, doing the same work for the state of Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. Well, in all your adventures, um, getting down to blood origins type stuff is there anything particular that's kind of been a highlight for you um within within your work with blood origins since you since you started that organization i think we're just just grateful for the people we get to meet mm -hmm. we get we get led into people's lives through their stories and every single time i just i'm blown away by what we can get out of people and what they allow us to see mm -hmm. um like even in the first season we were grateful enough to get in were to be contacted to by will primos to a guy called cuz strickland cuz strickland I you know, know just an old yeah. school the the grandfather of hunting filming hunt filming industry kind of deal right and i had my father with me who passed two years ago and he was also like on the drive up to Cuz. I said, Cuz, can I bring my father? And he's like, absolutely. We're going to go hunt with your father. And I was like, okay. You know, had to figure out how to get him a license because the Mississippi state system could not understand that this was an international individual trying to hunt in Mississippi. But... <laughs> you were turkey hunting, I assume. No, deer hunting. We're, de we're oh, deer really? hunting. And um, Cuz came up and my dad was like, I don't understand this blood origins thing. I was like, all right, don't worry. You'll see. You'll see what it's about next two days. And so my dad hunted with Cuz and hunted with me and my dad shot a doe and it's it's the only time my dad and I have ever hunted together. And mm -hmm. Cuz gave me that opportunity, gave me that that memory. And then we filmed Cuz and Cuz's story was if you haven't listened to Cuz's story, you know, Google, you know, Cuz Strickland Blood Origins. It's emotional, it'll wreck you, it'll pull at your heartstrings, it's, it'll make you cry. And mm -hmm. um after that was finished, I turned to my dad and I walked up to him. He goes, now I understand. Now I understand. And yeah. so to me, those are the best parts about it. It's, it's just it's meeting new people, being introduced to their world, and then them pouring their soul out to you and their heart out to you saying, this is why I hunt. Um, it's one of the biggest rewards of producing a podcast. I always feel like I'm the beneficiary after I get done, you know, I'm the one that, that benefited the most from having an individual on my podcast. Mm -hmm. If I, it, you know, if I did my job, mm -hmm. then that's how I leave the podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, done, when I push that stop button, it's like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, what a story. Mm -hmm. No, man, it, it's, it is, um, it's it, it that's the best part about it obviously seeing cool mm -hmm. places around the world and i'm slowly learning to just slow down a little bit i'm not the kind of guy to slow down but i'm learning to slow down and maybe take a couple of days to smell the roses a little bit or even hunt 
because I'm tending to lose the thing that I'm fighting for every single day. Like in 2021, I think I calculated that I only hunted three days total. Hmm. And none of those days were with my boys. So Ooh. it was almost like this thing that like, it's all consuming, but I've got to remember like, hey, have a little bit of balance and and do the thing that you love to do. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I've shared before is, you know, I, I have the bully platform here among houndsmen and with, you know, with, with the podcast and stuff. But uh, a lot of times the things that, that I talk about or I, I want to discuss are things that I've learned in my life, you know, and, and I don't want other people to make the same mistake. So when you tell me about your only hunting three days and, uh, you know, none of those days with your, were with your boys, yeah, I can relate to that because, uh, I remember the day that my son decided that he didn't like hunting with hounds anymore. Hmm. You know, it, when he was a little kid, I couldn't keep him at home. I got pictures of him leading dogs. I got pictures of him jumping in water, you know, mud puddles when they're little bitty kids. And But I remember the day, and it's because I allowed it to consume me so much, and I went at it like it was a job, and I just burned, it, burned, burned him out, mm -hmm. you know. My daughter was hard-headed enough to stay in it with me for a long time until, you know, she she got to be a late teenager. But uh, that's uh, your message is so interesting because I find the same thing. You know, when you can when you can reflect and find places, you you invite these interesting people on, and then you reflect on, you know, you layer that onto your own life, or you overlay it on your own life. And you can do a self-evaluation and see where you're at. Do you, have you noticed that too? Mm, I don't have much time for self-evaluation, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know it's important. It's something that I should do, but I don't do it. So. Yeah. Um, so you've got a partner or a co-host, I should say. Cody, on the podcast, right? Cody, yeah, on our roundup, yeah, yeah. for sure, we bring Cody in. Uh huh. Who's a good yeah. balance? What's Cody's function? Cody just uh, and, and Cody approached me and said, "Man, I really want to help you. I'm not a business guy; I'm a scientist." Cody really helped us with the business sense side of things. Um, so he's part of the team, and we brought him onto the podcast because Cody has a different viewpoint than I do, and mm -hmm. Blood Origins isn't. I've noticed my opinion, and. Um, it's good to have someone like Cody on there because we can banter back and forth and we can have differing opinions and we can discuss them like everyone should be discussing them and not hate each other because you just you say this and I say that. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, I've I've got people that, that work with me that do the same thing and I think it adds balance. You know, our audience will know the name Josh Michaelis. He and I he and I banter back and forth all the time. And uh, we do that because we're both comfortable doing it. And uh, same thing, man. Same thing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some of the big projects. Sure. I'm, I, you know, I've talked, I've talked enough about what we're doing. Everybody that's listening to this podcast knows yeah, what we The houndsman on this listening to the podcast saying, what the hell, Chris? Why have you got this guy on a houndsman podcast? I'll tell you why. Because uh, there's a few reasons. I think the messaging that you guys have 
of of being able to talk about hunting, explain why we hunt, is is something that we've been lacking in the hound hunting community, and we covered that. But also, um, you had a very interesting guest on a couple weeks ago, and it, it, as a result of your podcast, I actually spent money on Amazon Prime to watch the film of nice. uh, Deep in the Heart. In the heart, deep in the heart. Mm-hmm done by Ben Masters Mm -hmm. and I would encourage anyone to spend the money to watch that film it was probably one of the most um, creative pieces I've ever watched uh, especially covering Texas wildlife Mm -hmm. talking about everything from watersheds to you know it all was based on the watersheds but, but it was a very masterfully done piece and there were some controversial parts in it as well. And uh, you had the opportunity to talk to Ben on your podcast a couple weeks ago. And how, how, did you, how did you feel about the conversation? What caused you to go after that? Hey, we're getting ready to shift gears in this podcast. And before we do, this is a great spot to tell you about three companies that have put their name on the line and been willing to stand up and help us with the fight to preserve, protect, and promote this lifestyle of being a houndsman. You can find all of our sponsor companies on our new website at houndsmanxp.com, but let's talk about those companies. The first company is Dogs Are Treed, our longest standing sponsor of this show. Kevin and Nancy are serious about the future of houndsmen and the future of hound hunting. Not to mention the fact that they are producing the highest quality gear in the industry from tie-outs to leashes to paws are protected, dogs are hydrated. It's all stuff that you can find on their website at dogsartreed.com or you can go to our website, hit the link and boom, you're right there. You'll also see these products popping up at youth events, at state organization events, you know, water races, field trials. They're donating their their products because they believe in this lifestyle. And when you shop with Dogs Are Treed and you enter that promo code HXP20% off, you're supporting this show so we can stand in the fight together. We're standing there together. So another company that I want to talk to you about is Cajun Lights. L.W. Nixon is just a super guy. He's straightforward. Uh, he's he's going to shoot you straight every time. But Cajun Lights is producing a high-quality light, high-quality vest. He's got more stuff coming. And uh, he believes in customer service. He's trying to source as many parts as he can for his lights right here out of the good old U.S. of A. He builds every light that goes out of that shop. So, He wants your feedback. We're going to feature him here on a podcast coming up, and you're going to want to listen to that. But you can find that company on our website and watch our social media post for a new promo code coming out where you're going to be able to save 10% on all of their Cajun Light products. The last organization I want to talk about is Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters takes Americans veterans to the field, gets them reconnected with the outdoor hunting, fishing lifestyle. That is so important for us. When we have America's heroes who are being honored and and taken back to the field that can speak positively about hunting, politicians listen to veterans and veterans vote. And veterans aren't afraid to get in that fight. They're not afraid to challenge people. 
So if you have not contacted us about hosting a Freedom Hunters event this fall, man, you need to get busy and get with us. Our calendar is filling up. we got a lot of stuff going on. But you can find out all that information by going to freedomhunters.org. And you can support them there, or you can register for an event there. Or if you want to make it a one-stop shop, we've got that organization's logo. we got Freedom Hunters on our website. Click on their logo, boom, you're going to go right to their website and you can take care of business. Do that right after this podcast. Let's finish it up with Robbie Kroger and talk about some Blood Origins. And look at that. Well, Blood Origins, we, we like to seed ourselves, and I think... It's no stretch to say this, that we seem to be almost like the spear tip when it comes to hunting issues in America and around the world. Like when something controversial happens, a lot of people look in our direction and say, what is Blood Origin saying about it? Because of how we speak and how measured we are and how, you know, we think a little bit more about things than maybe most people would. And so coming out of Deep in the Heart... A coalition was formed in Texas called Texans for Mountain Lions, and Ben Masters was part of it, in which they sent a letter. Did he found it? Did he found it, or was he just part of it? He probably was part of the founding members. Uh, they don't really articulate who the founders are of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's you know half a dozen to eight individuals, I think, that are part of that coalition. And they sent a letter, a petition to Texas Parks and Wildlife Department with five or six requests. The first request was for a population survey of mountain lions in the state of Texas. There is no good data, good estimate on the lion population in the state of Texas. Everyone, every hunter should say, yes, we should. We need that. We need better data so that we can manage the population better. Totally agree. Then they started running down some rabbit holes that people got a little wrapped around the axle on. Um, There was one that was, and here's where the controversy starts, is that if you ask the houndsman community in the state of Texas, they actually agreed with most, if not most of the the pieces of the coalition. If you ask the trapping community, the trapping community was very much against all of it. Um, Right. How did the ranching community feel? Uh, I think they split even, even, right? Because they, they, they live in both the houndsman and the trapping world. And so mm-hmm. the, the big sticking point was that Ben Masters called for a, a complete halt um, to the current hunting system and put in a quota of only five mountain lions a year. Uh, that may seem like a lot to your listeners, uh, but it was almost saying, they were saying with one, with one hand, there is not enough data on mountain lions, but on the other hand saying, well, this is what we sh- you should be doing. And everyone said, well, where's the data to, to defend exactly. that point? Mm-hmm. So they actually realized that and they backed out of that and said they were looking for a more of a regional management plan between the South Texas population and the West Texas population. They also called for uh, no more live trapping and moving of mountain lions that would, rele- would, would result in a canned li- mountain lion hunt, essentially, which I don't think mm-hmm. any hunters would be against. Um, and then lastly, they asked for just a broader uh, discussion, essentially. Bring a table of folks together from all walks of life that represent all parts of the community. And let's have a discussion about mountain lion management in the state of Texas. And so I wanted to have that conversation with Ben Masters because it got very, very controversial in the hunting space. A lot of sort of 
names were called and you know lots of stuff was flying back and forth around social media and so we wanted to have a straightforward conversation with ben and then i followed it up with a very straightforward conversation with someone who's in the wildlife habitat management business that essentially right. is on the other side of the fence of ben uh, but yes. they knew each other very well. Um, they were very. They were actually uh, one had invited Ben to to debut his film film in San mm -hmm. Angelo. So it was a good. We like to have those kinds of podcasts. If there's a controversial issue on the horizon, we like to have both sides of the coin come on the podcast. Let's talk about it, and so that the listeners and the audience can really understand. You know, and form their own opinions of 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 where they sit because they've heard both sides of the coin versus only hearing one or the other. So when you were, what was your overall opinion of deep in the heart? You know, going into it, I was a little biased because I heard that um, they felt like someone felt like they went over the top when it came to the issues around mountain lions, which is trapping, right? And so if you haven't watched deep in the heart, what happens in Deep in the Heart, the film, the imagery, the cinematography is absolutely breathtaking. You're correct. It really is. The, the, probably the thing that, that really sold the movie, that really took it over the top, was the footage that he got and shot with ocelots. And he explained to me how he got that footage, which was quite amazing. He had Sony cameras and Pelican cases in three different or four different locations around a known travel mm -hmm. corridor. And then he had a laser trip system that would trip the laser would trip the power to all the cameras to fire up all the cameras and it all start filming at the same time. So that's why you see all these different angles of ocelots, which just change the sort of footage around that animal. The, the, the footage on those ocelots, well, all of it was so intricate. I mean, it was almost like it was done on a controlled stage mm -hmm. in captivity. Mm -hmm. I mean, angles yeah. and yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, video masterpiece yeah, it's a beautiful film it's, it's narrated yeah. by uh, matthew mcconaughey um mm -hmm. it's almost a, like a david attenborough type film for texans built in texas you know right um and what he did was for every species he talked about bison bass um mountain lions ocelots he looked at what are the things that are affecting those animals in the state of Texas. Bats. Mm -hmm. He talked about the pressures, the threats, the stresses on those animals. And so when it came to mountain lions, the threat and the stressor from their perspective is trapping. And so they alluded to that in the film. And, you know, they have a scene that that is the controversial scene of a mountain lion walking into camera frame just like a camera trap and they have a trap in frame and they have disabled right. the trap and the mountain mm -hmm. lion puts his foot in the trap and moves on and so a lot of people would you know said that that was taking it to the next level that was really like you know pushing that into the face of trappers and houndsmen and hunters i didn't quite see it that way um you know did they focus a little bit more on trapping associated with mountain lions than they did, say, land use and habitat connectivity for bison? Yeah, they did. Yeah, um, yeah they did. But <laughs> was it like crazy over the top? I don't think so. Well, the, the, the thing that I had, it, when, I, when I got done watching Deep in the Heart, 
I felt like, man, he, he hit, he didn't challenge one demographic of our society. He, he, he was able to bring all this together and, and put the responsibility on all of us. You know, this is what's happening. And, and I thought that was a, a very interesting way and an impactful way to, to get his story out. The, the issue I had was, you know, the depiction of the trap. Here you've got an antique trap that is got these big spiky teeth on it. And, you know, it's it's not a good, an accurate depiction of modern trapping equipment mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it was, when he started down that path, it was kind of like, okay. But the rest of the messaging and everything... Um, did an outstanding job 100% on on telling the story so um what were your takeaways after talking to Ben Ben Masters on it did you uh, change your opinion after you interviewed him well i didn't have an opinion number 1 i don't okay. like to form opinions going into conversations um All i right. think Jen, i think he, you know a lot of people say well he's a you know he's an anti hunter and, and wolves in sheep's clothing and i don't right. think so I think he just cares for wildlife. I think he lives and breeds the stuff. I think he engages with them enough. And anyone that's listening to this podcast, you, myself, if we get absorbed into a topic area and we spend months of our lives capturing footage around it, you're going to become very, very passionate about that specific topic. Okay. And if you see something that you see based on your experience in the field that is possibly affecting them you're going to do something about it and i think that's mm-hmm. that's ben and i don't think he's out to kill hunting a lot of people will say that and to me it may be a little conspiracy theory-esque i have not seen the the proof uh, ben is a hunter but he's not a hunter like say maybe you and me that are you know i'm gonna go whitetail hunting i'm gonna go i want to hunt for a big buck that's Mm -hmm. not ben ben's going to hunt for a doe and we'll shoot that doe and take it home and put in the freezer right right well so let's turn it back to blood origins i did you know we kind of got sidetracked and sound like a promo for (laughs) deep in the heart there but but it was all part of the bigger conversation that i want to have you know, when when you do a podcast like that, you say you don't form opinions. So uh, you had goals that you wanted to accomplish with the podcast, I'm sure. I wanted to give him a voice, but I wanted to I wanted to seat myself. So especially when we have those kinds of podcasts, that it's a controversial topic, and I'm going to get both sides of the equation, both sides of the coin are going to come mm-hmm. on the podcast. I like it because I get to seat myself in two different positions. I get to play the antagonist on both sides of the coin. So for mm-hmm. Ben Masters, I get I got to play the hunter side and really probe him and ask him some hard questions without him feeling like he was coming under attack. And that's that's really was the objective of things. And then when I had Greg Simons on, I sat in the Ben Masters seat and ask Greg some hard questions like, you know, should we, you know, one of the things was a trap line, like limit the amount of time between trap checks for 36 hours. Mm-hmm. Makes complete sense to me. Why would we not want? And he was like, well, 
one of the things would be that the trap lines are too long and too inaccessible and like shorten the trap line right so it, it's almost like i got to seat myself in both sides of the coin and i and i like that a lot when i initially heard the podcast that you did with ben um i wasn't the host so i did have the luxury of forming opinions and uh i was i was a i did form some opinions and and um i felt like that that there were a lot of liberties taken about trap numbers and uh you know how mountain lions are sitting out there in traps for for days on end and dying of starvation in the trap and mm -hmm. and different things like that and and those were the the touchy subjects that that i listened to and i heard him talk about but then i i started started doing my own research because of your show you know i wouldn't known anything about any of this stuff robbie mm -hmm. if i hadn't heard it on blood origins and um i started doing my own research and talk talking to houndsmen in the state of texas and they were they were like hey you know um you might you might want to dig a little deeper on this you might want to you might want to check says so you know most of the opinions that i got back where it's not common but it's not unheard of exactly you know so um i don't think that that the way ben portrayed it it's like some big huge rampant problem but how many mountain lions have to die of starvation in a trap for it to be a problem or, or you know? die of heat exhaustion right mm -hmm. right yeah so yeah so greg simons was on the other side of the coin that's right and tell us how that went it went well it you know i i felt like greg was very um he was very he minded his p's and q's mm -hmm. he was very political in how he spoke back to me um very measured in his response um had you know great respect for ben uh, but was very much, you know, speaking again from the angle of. And I don't want you to get down in the dirty details on it because I want people to go listen. Yeah, to I think it was so, Ben was very yeah. uh, sorry. Greg was very much like, hey, yes, you know, mountain lions. I think, you know, I asked him mountain lions. Are, do you think they're increasing or decreasing in terms of their population? He goes, I think they're increasing. And here's mm -hmm. why. You know, he, he talked about the economic aspect of things, the social aspect of things, the things, sure. all the things that you need to think through um, that are sort of interlocked into this whole discussion of mm -hmm. mountain lions and mountain lion populations and changing statuses and all sorts of things. A lot, a lot of Greg's stuff was, I felt like, uh, I think you're right, it was measured. Um, a lot of it was opinion based without taking it back to the original you know uh proposals that was submitted by the foundation was let's do a data you know a study to see you know let's right let's stop guessing and let's just see but greg simons is in his defense you know he's working for um as a wildlife management specialist and working with those ranches and different things to increase and improve wildlife habitats and different things like that. So, uh, yeah, he's got a, he's got a different, Ben Masters is a filmmaker. He wants to sell films sure. and, 
and uh, Greg Simons is trying to he he still needs to pay the bills next week with the next client. That's right. You know. That's right. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, two that, really good perspectives. There was one other guy that I wanted. I wanted to actually have a trifecta podcast. Oh, because I wanted to have a guy on the ground, and mm-hmm. the guy that I was trying to get a hold of was a guy called Bill Davis. And Bill Davis is like the man when it comes to mountain lions on the ground. And uh, I tried to give him. He's a very very old school guy. I don't think even he even has a po- uh, a computer. So I was. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I was going to do <laughs> if I got a hold of him. I left him two voicemails. Um, I'm going to try him again, actually call him later this week. Um, but, y'all, that would have been the, the cherry on the ice cream sundae that we got to eat already. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit, man. I yeah, We've got some common friends, uh, people that have been on my podcast, people that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blood Origins is getting ready. You've been working on this project for a while right and uh it's going to feature our friends uh cleveland becky dwyer from uh nevada yep and then uh my real good friends josh and jason whitaker yep from trinidad colorado yep and a so, bunch of others yeah so those are the ones that i know mm-hmm. uh, but tell us what you got cooking robbie so we've we've probably filmed I would I would hearken to guess probably the most beautifully shot, most sort of deeply, deeply filmed. And when I say deeply filmed, I mean like really digging deep into people around lion houndsmen that has ever been filmed. It's not a shallow film. It's a very, very deep dive into the people, the houndsman itself, and the dogs themselves. has nothing to do. We did not hunt a mountain lion at all during the filming of the documentary. We chased mountain lions with dogs, but there was no hunting involved. Uh, You're not going to see a a lion die. You're actually only going to see lion. You're only going to see puppies being born, and you're going to see dogs dying. Because to me, those are the elements that really draw in someone that doesn't understand hunting. So this film is being built not for hunters. It's being built for non-hunters. Lionheart will be, hopefully once we get it put together, will go on a tour of non-hunting film festivals around the world. The first port of call is going to be Sundance, the top of the top. And... Mm -hmm. We feel like we've got the cinematography and we feel like we've got the narrative to really make an impact in that arena. And really what it, the reason why we built Lionheart was I got a call from Josh and Jason's cousin. Mm-hmm. I, got, I can't remember the guy's name. He's going to shoot me for not remembering his name on your podcast. Um but he reached out to me through Instagram and, and we started talking and we got on a phone call and he said, you know what we need is we need we need a story about who lion houndsmen are. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're right. It's the most vilified hunting practice there is. Chasing predators with dogs. You don't get anything that is more misconstrued, more vilified than that. Mm-hmm. 
I said, but if we're going to tell this, his name's Justin. Justin Ankovic, I think is his name. And I'm sorry, Justin, for messing up your last name. I couldn't pronounce Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Justin, if we're going to do this right, it's going to, I need to raise a lot of money. Because we want, no, it, it's not just a little simple $10,000 documentary. Uh, so we've raised about $90,000, Chris, for this documentary. We've raised a shit ton of money. And we're still going to yeah. need a little bit more. We're still going to need probably another 10 to 20 on the back end to finish out the way that we need to finish it out. It's going to do a disservice if we don't do it that way. Um, but we've essentially filmed six different people, six different walks of life. Uh, we filmed the Meekums, three generations of lion houndsmen out of Tropic, Utah. We filmed Jason and Josh Whitaker, as you mentioned. We filmed mm -hmm. Becky and Cleve Dwyer. We filmed Tyler Jonathan out of Montana. And we filmed a couple called the, the Hazlers. They may not be on anyone's radar, actually. Um, but Jordan and Ashley Hasler. And ha Ashley is actually one of... Jordan's obviously a line houndsman, but Ashley's also a phenomenal line houndsman. And mm -hmm. so to us... And they've got three young boys that they take line houndsmen hounding the entire time. And so to us, we've got two badass female line houndsmen, Becky and Ashley, that you've probably... Again, ask 99%, ask 100 people, are there female lion houndsmen? 95% of them will say no. Right. So we've got two in there, two of five, two of six. We've got families, mm -hmm. we've got generations, we've got, we've got, as I said, we've got puppies being born and we've got, a, we've got a dog dying. And really it's just, we finished all the film production now we're in we're in the sort of trenches of, of post-production now and yeah we've got like gosh i think it's 18 or 19 hours worth of interview footage um we've just and like we've got bits and pieces like since you know josh and jason and they'll probably listen to this i'll i'll talk about they them. will <laughs> um Josh and Jason were very much like I, I talked to Josh a lot in this entire process of like how we raised, you know, raising money and whatnot. And he put me on one of the private donors was a friend of his, Art Pierce out of Arizona. So thank you, Art, if you're listening to this. Um, but Josh was very much like like when we sent the cameraman out, he's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, I'm not very good on camera. And then after they left, he was like, I hope you, they got what they wanted. You know, I just, you know, to me, just, you know, Josh, he's just, you know, yeah. super humbled individual and whatnot. And according to the camera guys, the camera guys were like, Josh would be saying to him, well, you know, I don't talk very much. And I don't, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and my cameraman were like, all right, well, you know, we'll see. We'll just see how it goes, you know. And when you watch, I may actually send you the teaser if you promise not to share it of the Whitakers. I will not share it. Um, I've got to see the one. Of it is Jason incredible. Josh, so. Like the the rock, they have this place that they hunt called the Rock, and Josh and Jason talking about their dogs. You can almost we, and I think we have it. We just didn't put it in the teaser. Josh and Jason nearly break down mm -hmm. because of their their feelings and their emotions about yeah. what it means to them to be a houndsman. And what the dogs mean to them. And when I sent it to Josh, he was like, man, I don't remember saying any of that. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's extremely... Uh, I had him on the... Josh has been on the podcast twice. Um, 
I had him and Jason and then uh, their partner, Eric Schluckaber, uh, on our podcast. And they're like, oh, I don't know if we can do it. I don't know if we can do it. And it was just a riot the whole time, you know. Uh, they, they, had, they were on another show um, some years ago that a TV show called the guides and they were outstanding on that, you know? <laughs> so yeah, they sell themselves short. Mm-hmm. That's two guys. That's two guys right there that, that, um, if, if they decided that next week they were going to start a hobby of nuclear physics, you know, they would figure it out. Right, you know, right. they, 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 they're extremely talented and everything from shoeing horses to, milling timber to hunting to building houses mm-hmm. to you know everything they do is is 100 percent mm-hmm. legit yeah i'm going to yeah. um one of the things that i really want to do is just going to take us trying to figure out everyone's schedules but i'd love to bring as many of those folks together in a room and do a live podcast with all of them together let them all talk about lion houndsman i think it would be a phenomenal phenomenal piece yeah yeah for sure Sure. So yeah, Lion Heart is it's been a it's been a, a passion project. I think we got the money all in place quite a while ago and obviously Lion season has a very definitive season. And so once we had all the money we were like, oh crap, we've got four months to wait now. Five months right. to wait. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's all good. When do you expect when do you expect the release? I'd like to do it early spring. Um, twenty three. Twenty three. And the reason being, one of the reasons being is that I know that Colorado, they're probably going to push again to ban lion hounds, hunting with lion, with, with hounds in Colorado. And they won't go the, they won't go the commission route this time. They'll probably go the legislative route this time. Yeah. They'll go in ballot initiative. So I want to have something ready for that. Um, so that there is content out there to sort of change people's perceptions around lion houndsmen, especially since we have the Whitakers out of Colorado. Um, that's the plan. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold fast to a deadline because I don't want to rush it because this is, it takes time too to big. make something amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's too important to rush it. Right. For sure. And that's the other reason I knew this project was going on, Robbie. And, and, um, that's another reason why I wanted my audience to be familiar with who you are and what you guys are doing over there it's it's going to be historic for for our lifestyle for the things that we love no doubt and uh, no doubt yeah i don't so, like the footage again when you see the footage that i sent you when i send you this teaser and you see this footage it's it's like nat it's nat geo quality footage again we went top yeah. quality let's get the the, the right cameras the everything with the right narrative, with the right people. Did you release a teaser with Cleve and Becky? We did an initial teaser, yeah. and it went crazy. Right. It was like that was yeah. before the time of reels and whatnot, and I think it had like eleven thousand views or something, twelve thousand views on Instagram. So, uh huh. Yeah, it was amazing. It's going to be a great piece. It's and that's exactly. It just plays into to what we're trying to do too. You know, don't just tell me that you hunt. Tell me why you mm-hmm. hunt, and you're. You're diving deep into that that personal story. We get villainized so much, you yeah. know. It's just like stereotypes. You know, hound hunting is. When I was a kid growing up, hound hunting was. Uh, 
You know, it's just a bunch of guys that go out and build a campfire and, and pass a whiskey bottle around and get drunk, you know? <laughs> and, and it's like, no, it's not. It's not that, you know? And, and all of our houndsmen are also, a lot of them participate in the, the study work side of it, the scientific yep. data collection. Yep. And What's his and, name? Bart, is it Bart Gregory? Bart, Bart, Bart George. Bart George, yep. Yep, That's up in Washington. Stuff in Washington, yep. Yep, yep. He's working up there on the. Uh, it's one of the reservations up there. That's right. He works for that that uh, Native American tribe as their biologist, and uh, yeah, he's doing some good work. But it's it's just going on everywhere, you know. It just goes on everywhere, and that's kind of, that side of the story needs to be told too. We always talk about there is no um, group of people that have more invested in hunting. And or in in wildlife than hunters, so we've got to be able to and I get that message out. And I applaud you for for doing that, Robbie. Well, I appreciate that. Let me, um, if if you're okay with it, I'll put a challenge out to your audience and maybe to you. Sure. It's one of the things that, and I think houndsmen get na- labeled the most around this topic, is that the use of hounds makes the hunt easy. The use of hounds <laughs> makes it less fair chase than what it should mm-hmm. be. Okay? You've heard this before. The challenge to you or Even from other hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So here's the challenge. I want to prove that it's not. How do we think outside the box to create content that shows that a hunt with hounds is not easy. That's what I'm after. Mm-hmm. That's what we should be portraying. When someone says, oh, hunting with hounds is easy, I want them to be able to point to something and goes, uh, is this easy? Is this easy? You know, in, in, in an eight-hour span, and I think this kind of data is very, very accessible, in an eight-hour span, I walked 12 miles. I climbed and descended 8,000 feet, and I didn't even get a line. Mm-hmm. I bet you 50 of your line hounds would could send me that data, and I could take an average. I could make a statistical average of a typical day in the woods. Yeah. Do you just want to focus on the hound? Uh, lion hunters, or do you want to do you want to do something on bear hunters? All of it. Bear, all of it. Bear it's, hunter, all, it's all yeah. tied in with you know someone saying that it's easy. The um, how many bears did you how many like another one? How many lions did you catch versus right. how many lions did you shoot? How many bears did you catch versus how many bears did you shoot? Right. How many days this year did you spend in the field, and how many lions did you actually catch? Exactly. Yeah. We can we can record all that information. I want it all, our, and we will build badass infographics about it. Let's uh let's continue the conversation, but we can capture all of that if if we had people that were intentional about it and would keep records. Every time I turn a hound loose, every day, you know I can record how many miles that hound travels. Yeah, but I would say it's more important to know how many miles you traveled. Well, I can do both. Mm-hmm. You can do both. Mm-hmm. You know, you can record track distance that I walk. Mm-hmm. You can record track distance, but it's bigger. It's bigger than just how many miles I walked that day. You know, when you look at when you look at 
what it takes to get a hound to the point where they can actually achieve the objective of catching game. You know, you're starting, for me, breeding performance hounds or hunting hounds, you know, that I'm thinking about what my next litter is going to be next year. You know, and I'm considering what genetics I want to bring in and what how I want to mix that up. So I'm I've got time spent in breeding the hound that I'm going to raise. Then you've got the time of raising that puppy and training that puppy. And that's what we're all about is talking about all of that stuff and getting to the point where they can go to the field and then the time you spend in the field honing their skills. And that doesn't even include the number of years it takes you to master or, or get get good at catching lions or, or bears where you need to put your hounds, things like that. I, it, it would be very hard to measure, but for anybody, I always talk about it like this. I've, I've hunted everything that was legal to hunt over the years and uh, everything from waterfowl to deer to lions to bears. And um, deer season is coming up and I'll break out the rifle here in a few days make sure we're zeroed and i'll go deer hunt Mm -hmm. there's no my hounds take 365 days a year care training all that plus the investment that i make in order to go out and do this is far more than it is for me deer hunting Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's it just is so yeah, it's it's no comparison for me, and the, the just the investment alone makes it difficult at times, you know, both physical investment and the uh, financial sure. investment. Sure. Yep, for sure. Robbie, you got anything else you want to leave us with? I, you know, let's let's just lay it all out there. I want to. Where's your website, and uh, where can people see some of these dynamic videos you put out? Well, I mean, they're 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 amazing. Uh, the content's amazing. Where can people find that stuff? Just uh, Google Blood Origins. We're everywhere, essentially. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Waypoint TV. We're going to be on Carbon TV here soon. We'll be on My Outdoors TV soon. Instagram, Facebook, Go Wild app, you name it. You know, just Blood Origins. We put our content pretty much everywhere so that we can reach the maximum amount of people because people con- you know, digest content very differently in different ways nowadays. And uh, I think the thing I'll leave you with is two things. Number one is I know that the content that we create is not sexy to you as a hunter because it doesn't show anything dying. But it's very, very important to the non-hunting majority to see who you really are. So you have to share good content. It doesn't have to be Blood Origins content. It just needs to be good content that that shows who we truly are as hunters and what hunting is doing for people, for wildlife, for economies, for communities all around the world. I know it's not sexy, I'll say it again, but you have to share it because your circle of influence is is made up of hunters and non-hunters and even anti-hunters looking at it. And so you mm-hmm. have a responsibility to share good content with your communities. And so that's what I'm going to, I'll say, share your content and then if you can't share the content, then I will say the last thing is when you decide to post your content, when you decide to comment the next time on someone's post or, or you're going to create a comment about your own post 
or you see someone say something inflammatory about you or hunting or whatnot, before you do anything, I want you to think. I want you to take a step back and I want you to think because thinking is going to save hunting. I want you to think about what you post. I want you to think about what what messages it's saying. I want you to think about how am I going to respond to this individual in a respectful way. I want you to think about if I respond to this individual that it's not just the individual I'm trying to respond to. It's the 10,000 people are going to watch me interact with that individual or going to read my comment. So if you just took a moment to think hunting will be taking a long, long uh, way forward in sort of keeping it around for our kids and our grandkids one day. Good information for sure. You know, we think we're just talking to one person. I was listening to a, a podcast the other day and Mark Zuckerberg was on there. He was the guest. There's 3 billion people on Facebook. Three Incredible. With a B billion, half the planet, Three billion, half the planet. Unbelievable that that yeah that's unbelievable in a lot of ways but uh that's how far our reach can be with positive messaging with when we when we think about what we're posting and how we're posting good message man exactly well robbie i appreciate your time thank you keep Chris. up the good work thank you man. if we can uh if we can ever help you in any way or or whatever just don't be afraid to reach out and um Love to have you on again sometime. We'll Maybe when the Lionheart drops, we can uh, we can get back together and talk about 100%. it. 100%. We'll do it. All right. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Robbie. I appreciate Cheers, it, man. Thank you.